from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I do need luck just to say ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been uh, a week for notable for the passing of some notable people in public life in America. Uh, a, a newswoman, back when I admired news people, I admired Gwen Ifill more than most, uh, the formidable soul sister, Sharon Jones, and two piano, two piano men who, in their very different ways, injected just a little more of the darkly magical brew of the South into American music. Uh, Leon Russell and Mose Allison will be playing some of their music today. Uh, on my way here to uh, the studio in New Orleans... I, I drove a route I've driven hundreds of times. But it was today that I noticed that the side streets I crossed in this order as part of my route were named Law, Hope, Duels, and Industry. It's the way streets are named here in New Orleans. But I realized Law, Hope, Duels, Industry. It was the plot of the musical Hamilton in just five seconds. Hello, welcome to the show. I can't believe the things I'm seeing. I wonder about some things I've heard. Everybody find mercy. It's sure enough getting worse Everybody crying justice Just as long as there's business first Toad to Touch and go Give a cheer Get your souvenir People running round in circles Don't know what they're headed for Everybody Just as soon as we win this war Straight ahead Knock them dead Pack your kit Choose your hypocrite Everybody, quite mercy when they don't know the meaning of the word. 
from New Orleans, Louisiana, just just this close, just spitting distance from Lake Pontchartrain. Don't spit in Lake Pontchartrain. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. It would uh, reduce the uh, salinity of the water if you do that. Speaking of the New Orleans area, Louisiana, you remember the big spill, the big by BP? Not a British oil company. Not a. It's more Americans than any. Anyway, a new study by NASA. Suddenly we're outer space. Suddenly the Gulf of Mexico is outer space. What, NASA? Yes. And the U.S. Geological Survey has found widespread shoreline loss along parts of Louisiana's coast that were heavily oiled after the Deepwater Horizon. They compared the spill, sorry, the erosion from the spill with uh, coastal changes caused by a hurricane in 2012, Hurricane Isaac. A pattern of dramatic widespread shoreline loss along the coast caused by the oil spill has been revealed by the study. Researchers used NASA's mapping, I guess they do it by satellite, or just Ubers with cameras, to analyze shoreline loss across most of Upper Barataria Bay, that's on the western side of the Mississippi River Delta. Study looked at shoreline imagery taken a year before the spill, and then images taken during a 2.5-year span after the spill. Scientists also compared shoreline losses from storm-induced erosion with losses linked to oiling. The team found that although storm-induced erosion did occur at isolated shoreline sections, the pre-spill shoreline from 2009 to 2010 was largely stable. But in the first year after the... From 2010 to 2011, the erosion pattern changed dramatically with widespread erosion occurring throughout the bay. It's all fixed now. The fishing's great. The tourism is great. Yeah, I remember those commercials. Erosion rates were highest along shorelines documented with heavy to moderate oiling and were lower along shorelines that experienced low oiling, like it's correlated or something. In the second post-spill year, 2011-12, the higher loss rates extended to areas that experienced less oiling. Funny. Interesting. Funny. Some of the shorelines studied received treatment to reverse or stop environmental damage from the spill. There was no measurable difference in their erosion compared to non-treated shorelines. So... Once it's done, once it's oiled, can't oil, unoil it, apparently. Can't uh, unoil a bell. The wetland impacts of the spill documented by the team included both shoreline erosion and wetland fragmentation. That's a process where small islands are broken into even smaller islands. Little cute little island. Land lost in fragmented areas is unlikely to be reestablished because there are no new sediments flowing in to replenish what's lost to erosion thanks to the levying of the Mississippi River and the thing and the thing and the thing. This creates a higher possibility that natural coastal defenses against flooding will be reduced because, as several experts have pointed out on this radio show, in a documentary film I made elsewhere, um, wetlands act as a natural buffer against both the wind and storm surge velocity of a hurricane approaching New Orleans. That's our, that's our safety zone here. I don't know about, I don't know what's your safety zone. That was ours. I, I speak of it in the past tense because we've had this spill. But, you know, I think uh, the main thing is that Tony Hayward did get his life back. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? He ran BP, just for those of you who forgot. 
I don't assume you forgot, just, just in case. A growing body of evidence suggests that the power plants, buildings, cars, trucks, ships, and planes in use today are likely to emit enough carbon dioxide over their lifetime for the world to miss the two-degree centigrade target that has been agreed upon by the nations of the world in Paris at the last climate change conference. Coal plants alone could blow the so-called carbon budget for 1.5 degrees Celsius. That's the lower threshold also mentioned in the agreement, unless the coal plants are shut down early. The war on coal, coal's winning. For 1.5 degrees, we would have to start retiring things like crazy, and we wouldn't be able to build anything new, says uh, University of California scientist Stephen Davis. Two degrees, he says, is starting to look equally bleak, or bleakly eek. That hasn't quite sunk in among the fanfare surrounding the Paris Agreement. Fanfare, which entered into force with record pace. Temperatures have already risen about by about one degree centigrade since the start of the Industrial Revolution. That's when us humans started burning fossil fuels for energy. Not just bars, energy. In uh, 2010, Davis, the scientist from the University of California, estimated the world's existing energy infrastructure had locked in 496 billion tons of carbon dioxide emissions if left to operate for their expected lifetime. That's what they were going to spew into the thing. By 2013, as hundreds of additional power plants came online in Asia, the number rose to 729 billion tons. That's what we're already locked into emitting. By now, Davis's latest calculations were close to 800 billion tons. That's what, roughly what's remaining of the so-called carbon budget if we keep the temperature rise to 2 degrees Celsius. That's according to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That budget is significantly lower for 1.5 degrees. There's uncertainty, uh, uncertainty surrounding the estimates, partly because it's unclear exactly how sensitive the climate system is to increases in atmospheric CO2. Davis's research shows that assuming an average lifespan of 40 years, the world's coal-fired power, coal power plants will emit 280 billion tons of CO2. That alone exceeds the budget for 1.5 degrees, and that doesn't even count the hundreds more that are under construction or on the drawing board, primarily in China. They're killing us, China, and other Asian countries. These things wouldn't be able to operate over their normal 30, 40-year lifespan, says Davis. Instead, they'd have to be closed down after 10 or 15 years, and so it's a matter of paying for them. That's a lot of life in those power plants that we basically have to throw away, unquote. The war on coal. This is what happened. What's happening already in the United States and a few other places where coal plants are being shut down, mainly because of competition from natural gas, which is cheaper and has somewhat lower emissions. But that even here, that's not fast enough to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. As globally, Tom, globally, mm-hmm, more coal plants are built every year than are retired. That's according to uh, Greenpeace and the Sierra Club. What do they know? Global energy demand, of course, is also growing, meaning renewables are adding power capacity because the world's transition to a low-carbon economy is underway. Renewal, renewable sources like wind and solar are expanding, but energy demand growing, so renewables are only adding 
to meet the new demand rather than replacing existing capacity from fossil fuels, according to a researcher at the Center for Environmental Climate, International Climate and Environmental Research in Oslo. Very few of the scientific projections count on countries retiring fossil fuels fast enough to meet the Paris targets. Instead, they assume the world will find a way to suck vast quantities of CO2 from the atmosphere in the latter half of the century. I'm doing my part right here, right now. Come on, everybody, join me. Let's suck some CO2. Come on, you can do it. If we just, in this one hour, no, forget it. Political uh, people in the United States are watching Washington at the moment, but some people in the science community are watching somewhere else, the Arctic, according to the Washington Post. It's polar night there now. That's when the Arctic is supposed to get cold, when the sea ice that covers the vast Arctic Ocean is supposed to grow and thicken. But this fall has been a remarkable year for the region. Multiple records set for low levels of monthly sea ice. Something is wrong. The Arctic Arctic is very hot, relatively speaking, even as a vast area of cold polar air has been displaced over Siberia. It's supposed to be cold in Siberia. What's their beef? What do they want, a a warm gulag? At the same time, one of the key indicators of the state of the Arctic, the extent of sea ice covering the polar ocean, is at a record low. The ice is freezing up again, but it isn't doing so as rapidly as usual. The ice's area is even lower than it was during the record low year, 2012. It's about 36 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than normal over most of the Arctic Ocean, says an Arctic specialist at Rutgers University. Along with cold anomalies of about the same magnitude over North Central Asia, the Arctic warmth is a result of a combination of record low sea ice extent for this time of year, probably very thin ice, yes we are, on, and plenty of warm moist air from lower latitudes being driven northward by a very wavy jet stream. Yes, among our problems, ladies and gentlemen, now is a wavy jet stream. Uh, the uh, Arctic specialist at Rutgers, Jennifer Francis, has published research suggesting that the jet stream, which travels from west to east across the northern hemisphere in the mid-latitudes, is becoming more wavy and elongated as the Arctic warms faster than the equator does, relatively speaking, because the equator started warm. That's why you go there. Don't you? You ever been? It's nice there. It will be fascinating to see if the stratospheric polar vortex continues to be as weak as it is now, which favors a negative Arctic oscillation and probably a cold mid-late winter to continue over Central and Eastern Asia and Eastern North America. The extreme behavior of the Arctic in 2016 seems to be in no hurry to quit, Francis continued. Another researcher has linked odd jet stream behavior with cold air over Siberia. Still another Arctic expert with NOAA, says the jet stream at the moment is well-configured to transport warmth northward into the Arctic. Both the persistence and magnitude of these temperature anomalies... Tom, help me out here. Anomalies! There you ...are quite unusual, says one of the researchers. Abnormally warm air has, warm air has flooded the Arctic since October. The average temperature... In uh, the Arctic, during the year, was about four degrees Celsius. Uh, sorry, four degrees Fahrenheit above the record set in 1998. Since 
the beginning of November, temperatures have risen even higher. The uh, head of the National Snow and Ice Data Center, we have one. That's what makes us exceptional. We have a National Snow and Ice Data Center. Agrees something odd is going on. Not only are air temperatures unusually warm, but water temperatures are as well. There are some areas in the Arctic Ocean that are as much as 25 degrees Fahrenheit above average now, says that head of the National Snow and Ice Data Center, Mark Cerezi. It's pretty crazy, he says. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, there's more. Of course there's more. We have some news of the godly, I believe, coming your way. At the sound of the musical thing, which sounds something like this. I knew it sounded like something. A former Anglican bishop, yes, spotlight on another church this week, not the Catholic Church. A former Anglican bishop has told the Child Abuse Royal Commission in Australia that the power to discipline clergy needs to be removed from the church because its morality, that of the church, quote, has been compromised. Interesting. Um, Brian Farron held the position of Bishop of Newcastle from 2005 until his retirement in 2012. He's been questioned about widespread abuse carried out in that diocese, the Anglican Diocese of Newcastle, in Australia. They have one in Australia. They named everything after somewhere else, of course, as we did, we in America. Um, Carried out over several decades. Bishop Farron told the commission of how he agonized over whether he should defrock his longtime friend, the former dean of Newcastle, Graham Lawrence. Lawrence was ultimately defrocked in 2012, along with two other reverends, over what were described as disturbing allegations of abuse from the 70s and 80s. The former bishop made a recommendation to the Royal Commission that an independent body be set up to deal with disciplinary issues. There is really huge potential of conflict of interest, and I experienced that, he said. He said it did not think it was possible for the Anglican Church to come together to develop its own body to deal with abuse Allegations, that's where the morality of the church has been compromised, quote, came from. He was asked about his time as a student at St. John's Seminary Training College in the 1960s. The commission has already heard the college was nicknamed Satan's Playground. Satan's Playground, ladies and gentlemen, because of the widespread abuse that is known to have been carried out there over many years, according to ABC News of Australia. The... uh, questioner gave the names of at least half a dozen known pedophiles who attended the college. Is it remarkable, she asked, that so many child sex offenders attended the one theological education institution? The bishop agreed it was remarkable, conceding selection processes were, quote, quite poor. College was later closed down by the diocese. He was uh, asked about his decision to go public in 2010 about abuse committed by another late priest, Peter Rushton. The sexual abuse well, he worked in the diocese starting in 1963. The abuse he committed was only acknowledged by the diocese after his death in 2007. People were furious with me, the bishop said, for publicly acknowledging the abuse. Quote, they said I had defamed the dead, unquote. He uh, defended the time it took him to become aware of that abuse. 
blaming a lack of, quote, corporate memory. So uh, I guess we're all defaming Jimmy, Fa- Jimmy Savile now, those of us who know about him. Um, the superbugs thing is continuing to pace. A new report from the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. Hey, they stole the name of the thing. Reveals that resistance has continued to increase across Europe. Antibiotic resistance to medications, that is. In spite of attempts to raise global awareness of the danger to the fundamentally important antibiotic class of drugs. Without them, some infectious diseases can become untreatable. Some forms of major surgery would again become perilous. Antibiotic resistance continued to increase over the last three years across Europe for most of the bacteria and drugs that are being monitored. Particularly worrying is the increase in resistance to antibiotics that are considered the last line of defense. That's where there are no new drugs to treat patients with certain serious infections. Antibiotic use went up in hospitals across Europe. It doesn't say here whether it went up, uh, whether they're still fattening pigs and cattle with antibiotics, which is what we've been doing for many years. Antibiotic resistance is one of the most pressing public health issues of our time. If we don't tackle it, we go back to a time when even the simplest medical operations were not possible, and organ transplants, cancer, chemotherapy, or intensive care, even less so. That's according to the European Commissioner for Health and Food Safety. There are concerns about the strains of E. coli that are resistant to antibiotics. That's a frequent cause of infections to the bloodstream and urinary tract, but you don't need those. Widespread publicity about the superbug MRSA and efforts to increase hygiene in hospitals brought the levels down between 2012 and 2015. Eight out of 30 countries still have levels of resistance of 25%. That makes it a priority. Multi-drug resistance is worrying, says the acting director of the ECDC. We have some reports of combined resistance against the so-called last-line antibiotics. Those are usually kept in reserve for infections that other drugs can no longer treat. There are reports of resistance to the last-line antibiotic colistin in the Czech Republic, France, Germany, Greece, Italy, Poland, and Romania. Hey, it is a union. Whenever we have something like this and don't take good care, the head of the European CDC says, it spreads. Superbugs, ladies and gentlemen. Superbugs. Well, I think it's... uh, it's time to, uh, you know, look at, at something that makes us proud to be human, something that uh, is a tribute to the spirit of human accomplishment. And that, of course, is the Olympics. News of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr., Well, this week, the International Olympic Committee got to work. They stripped 10 athletes of their medals from the 2008 Games. Yes, this is 2016. That was eight years ago. 
Here's what happened. Banned substances were found during retests of blood samples from the 2008 games. Those uh, retests were taken taken uh, on by the Never Too Late Department. The IOC says the 10 athletes, nine of whom hail from former Soviet nations, all tested positive for various steroids. No gold medalists were among the 10. There were three silver, me- silver medalists from weightlifting and wrestling. Figures? Should I? No. Track and field was also hit. A triple jumper from Greece and a pole vaulter from the Ukraine lost, lost their bronze medals. That um, the Ukrainian vaulter's loss could elevate Derek Miles of the United States to the bronze medal position. I hope Derek has been doing something. Well, I hope he's been in training all this time, waiting the eight years for his bronze medal. Six athletes who did not win medals in 2008 were also disqualified. So, you never know who's won the Olympics, really, until some time has passed. Because it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day! The um, the uh, annals of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the Let Us Try people, continue. About 200 de- uh, dead adult steelhead have been found just below a dam on the North Fork of the Clearwater River in Idaho during the past week, according to the Car- uh, Corps of Engineers. The Clearwater joins the Snake near the Washington-Idaho state line. The steelhead, uh, according to the Fish and Wildlife Service, were killed when they likely hit structures of a turbine unit at the dam, according to the Corps, like bladed to death, apparently. Their injuries coincide with an upgrade of a turbine at the dam. New sharper blades, new steelhead slicing blades. The Corps says it will continue to investigate the exact cause of the fish deaths, and you can trust them because they try. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers.
don't fly away From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And now. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He's at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and they are hard at work to, uh, you know, tell you what, uh, what's really maybe going on in the. Uh, Oh, and that we don't have to have again. The Inspector General monitoring billions of U.S. spending in war-torn Afghanistan reported this week that $85 million in government-backed loans to construct a hotel and apartment building, not not a Donald Trump hotel and apartment building, mind you, just a hotel and apartment building. Well, it could be now. Hey, near the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, that $85 million has vanished. The construction projects were never completed. That's before Trump. You see what I'm saying? Both buildings now appear to be abandoned, empty shells. Both loans are in default, possibly as a result of fraud, says John Sopko, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, the CIGAR. He sent a letter to that effect to the CEO of Overseas Private Investment Corporation, OPIC. That's a U.S. government institution that coordinates private investments in unstable or developing countries where private banks and insurers are unwilling to go. Come on, guys. Come on. It's not that bad. The shooting doesn't go on all night. But actually, it does. But it doesn't go on all day. Well, the inspector general also said that not only was the investment and construction project a total failure. Well, okay, some credit. It's a total failure. These partial failures, really. There's no, 
The U.S. Embassy is now being forced to provide security for the building site at additional cost to U.S. taxpayers because the construction site is so close to the embassy building. According to the letter, inspectors for the inspector general, he's their general, found structural cracks in the roof and walls, damaged fireproofing on steel beams and columns, demolished wall sections, incomplete wiring, unfinished masonry, and a host of other problems. And maybe even a co-host. Because OPIC did not have an on-site supervisory or monitoring presence at either construction project, OPIC had to rely almost exclusively on representations made by the loan recipients regarding the status of the projects and how the proceeds of the loan were spent, says the Inspector General. OPIC is this government agency that, come on, guys, it's a war area, but the, the, it's good. You loan the money to the thing. OPIC retained the firm of Gardner and Theobald, an international construction management company, to monitor the apartment project. The company apparently never visited the apartment project, according to the inspector general. Well, you can monitor from afar. There's uh, satellites. It's uh, no surprise that with about half a million employees, some U.S. postal workers are enticed by the prospect of free marijuana when the drugs telltale odor. It used to be described as acrid back in the uh, bad old days. The sweet acrid smell of marijuana. That was uh, seeps from a package. But when the Postal Service Inspector General's office looked into the handling of such packages at seven facilities around the country, across the country, excuse me, it found few safeguards to prevent internal theft. That is to say, internal to the post office. These aren't people reaching down their own throats. At one facility, management was unable to explain why a cage used to store suspected pot mail, pot mail, had its lock broken. The cage did. Management couldn't explain that. At another facility, the suspect packages were left in an unlocked office. Well, nobody's going to. At a third, they sat unguarded on a table. The audit was completed last month after on-site visits earlier this year. This comes amid high-profile instances of postal workers stealing drug mail, pot mail, or using their positions to profit from it. And Illinois, who? I'm just going to interrupt to say, who sends marijuana through the mail now? Still? Yet? An Illinois postal worker was charged with knowingly delivering pot mail in September, busted by a tip to the Postal Inspector General. In May, two workers were charged with stealing drugs from at least 16 packages at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. And in Washington, D.C., three workers were accused in August of taking bribes to deliver pot. The um, report of the Inspector General, its existence was uh, noted last month by a public Internet posting, but said it would not be released due to concerns that some of the information was sensitive and thus protected under the Freedom of Information Act. Indeed, the document was thoroughly redacted when offered following a Freedom of Information request to U.S. News. The ratio of withheld content on the document about the investigation of the pot mail thefts The ratio of withheld content rivals the censorship of FBI notes on Hillary Clinton's email investigation and the release of the legal reasoning behind killing Americans with drones. Just to show you how serious this really is. Potmail! 
Three FOIA redaction codes are applied to the text of the document. One claims protection of law enforcement investigations, another protection of individual safety, and the most common code is a catch-all specific to the Postal Service that protects information of a commercial nature, including trade secrets, whether or not obtained from a person outside the Postal Service, which under good business practice would not be publicly disclosed. Tales of workers taking home marijuana, if those tales exist, are covered by yellow redaction boxes. The uh, takeaway, the recommendation for the report, was not redacted. The recommendation is the Postal Service adopts a nationwide policy for handling, tracking, and providing additional security for packages suspected of containing marijuana to reduce the risk of these packages being lost or stolen. The uh, spokesman for the Inspector General's Office of the Post Office says, we cannot comment above and beyond what was released in the Freedom of Information document. Pop mail, ladies and gentlemen. News of Inspectors General, copyrighted feature of this program. So um, we've seen uh, the flurry of stories at the beginning of the week here in the United States about the disarray, the conflict, the discord inside the uh, transition team at uh, Trump Central, wherever that may be. Um, And then we saw a flurry of appointments announced later in the week. In the meantime, uh, many people travel to Trump Central, uh, either Trump Tower or later in the week, uh, the Trump Golf Course in New Jersey, to meet with the president-elect, elect, uh, notably among them, of course, Mitt Romney, but uh, less, getting less notice, for whatever reason, was Henry Kissinger. Of course, uh, he was a notably cited by Hillary Clinton in one of the debates with Bernie Sanders as one of her foreign policy advisors. So, you know, it's a two-party system. Whichever way you vote, you get Henry Kissinger. Um, Mike Pence, the vice president-elect, has uh, replaced Chris Christie. Chris Christie is, you couldn't be more out than Chris Christie is now. And uh, Donald Trump, who reportedly values loyalty, well, not reportedly, he said it in in an episode of The Apprentice, values loyalty above all else. Uh, Chris Christie was one of the first people who opposed Donald Trump during the primaries to turn around and endorse him. He's out. He's out like a uh, like a bad dream, like a like out like a wet candle. He's he and everybody he was associated with, everybody he brought into the operation, has been uh, excused from further participation apparently. And then, of course, uh, at the end of the week, toward the end of the week, um. Donald Trump settled the three lawsuits that were going to come to trial either coterminous with or shortly after the inauguration regarding Trump University for about $25 million. I got that on me. Um, And sort of taking a little notice away from that, Mike Pence, as I say, the the vice president-elect and the head of the transition team now that Chris Christie is gone, went to see the Broadway play Hamilton. Now, he could have just visited those four streets that are on my route here, but he wasn't in New Orleans. He was in New York. So he went to see Hamilton, and uh, the crowd booed him a little bit as he entered with his family. And then, as you know, uh, the cast uh, delivered some remarks to him at the end, to which Donald Trump tweeted furious responses, and uh, the news media focused on that, and uh, so the week went. Uh, now, that all sounds kind of 
I know, kind of uh, ordinary and ho-hum when uh, recited as just stories in the news. There is a way to make it seem more exciting. This week, for the first time, the challenge begins again. And each week, more people arrive at New York's gleaming Trump Tower to take up the challenge of the Presidentus. Steve. Steve Bannon? Yes, sir. They say you're anti-black and anti-Semitic. I'm aware of that, sir. What do you say? I'm not anti-you, sir. You're hired. Mike. Mike. You've taken over the transition team. How's it going? Very smoothly, Mr. Trump. I see stories there's chaos. We planted those. Good. Mike, your challenge this week is to go see a hip-hop musical. Can you do that? Do you think you can listen to people rapping for two hours plus? Yes, I do, Mr. Trump. It won't be easy, but yes. Kellyanne. You... I've done a very impressive job so far. Frankly, I don't think I got a lot of help from Steve. Steve can't get in the way of your task for this week. Yes, sir. You have to go out and be the female face in a traditional white male operation. I'll need extra lipstick. You think you might want to look into helping out the chest a little bit, too? I can definitely do that. Henry, obviously, you're not here to compete. <laughs> not at my age. But your task is to simply show I'm not a madman. You do it just by being here for a few minutes. I do have some experience with non-madmen, sir. And you're no madman. Now you're flattering me. I do have some experience with flattering madmen, too, sir. Ivanka. Now you know... You can't get voted off the team. Right. You can't be fired. Right. That's a huge exemption. Mm -hmm. So your task this week is to sit in when I meet a foreign leader or two. Right. And then afterwards, very confidentially, tell me how it looked. Of course. And then we can talk about my child care plan? Actually, that's part of your next task. Which is going through Steve. Mike, the audience booed you. My team paid some of them to boo me. That's very clever. But why? We just owned another news cycle. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We are going to make this format great again. And at the end of a crucial week. Okay, you've all completed your tasks. Who is the weak spot? Nobody? Okay. Then what's the verdict? Mr. Mr. Trump, Trump, you're you're rehired. The learning curve was never curvier. The Apresidentus. This week. Just try to avoid it. You're sitting there yakking right in my face I guess I'm gonna have to put you in your place You know, if silence was golden You couldn't raise a dime 
Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working overtime. You quoting figures and dropping names. You telling stories about the days. You're over laughing when things ain't funny. You're trying to sound like the big money. You know if talk was criminal, you'd lead a life of crime. Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working overtime. Short talk is cheap. Don't be making promises that you can't keep. You don't like this little song I'm singing, just grinning back it. All I can say is if the shoe fits right and you must keep talking, please try to make it rhyme. Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Selectmen, which I guess are council people, in uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts, have officially, officially apologized to the victims of William Sheehan's alleged sexual abuse. This is not an attorney request or negotiated, said one of the selectmen. It comes from the hearts of the selectmen. Sheehan served as a Foxborough teacher, scoutmaster, and swimming director at Cocasset River Park in the 1960s, 70s, and early 80s when he was alleged to have molested dozens of children. What you're doing is standing up for something, said an alleged victim after the apology. Sheen abruptly left Foxborough for Florida in 1981. At least one Florida man has come forward with allegations against him. Over the course of four summers at Boy Scout camp, that eventually resulted in Sheen getting kicked out of the Boy Scouts and having his teaching license in Florida revoked. But authorities in Foxborough were never notified. The allegations against him only became widely known in Foxborough when a group of alleged victims brought them forward at the meeting of selectmen four years ago. We feel our town is stronger now, said one of the selectmen. Sheehan, by the way, was never charged because by the time uh, a warrant was issued, he was suffering from late-stage Alzheimer's. Twitter's crackdown on hate speech isn't turning out to be easy. CEO Jack Dorsey apologized this week after the microblogging site hosted an ad that promoted a white supremacy group earlier this week. The promoted tweet, spotted by a user and uh, publicized by an online uh, 
publication called Motherboard, linked to an article titled The United States was founded as a white people's republic on the website of The New Order, a neo-Nazi group. Apparently it took three days for Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter as well as of Square, uh, to apologize, but the account was suspended. The ad was removed within an hour of going live, according to a Twitter spokesperson. Twitter's ad policy prohibits promotion of hate content, sensitive topics, and violence globally. David Sangueza said he was having a bad day. He's had many bad days, according to the Miami Herald. Wednesday was just the latest. That was the day he was captured on video, angrily yelling, Trump, and I voted for Trump at a barista at a Coral Gables, Florida Starbucks when he felt he didn't get his latte quickly enough because he's white. Then he demanded his money back, calling the barista trash and garbage. I had a bad day. I was wrong for screaming at her. I've since apologized, Sangueza said. Then, in a second interview, he said, my attorneys want to file a lawsuit. That's a non-apology, ladies and gentlemen. A week after the American Institute of Architects pledged to work with President-elect Donald Trump, the organization walked back its statement and apologized. The message that went out was a mistake and it shouldn't have happened, said the president of the Institute in a video. We will continue to be at the table and be a voice for the profession, especially when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. They don't want to design the table? Well, that would be designers, I guess, not architects. The initial statement was sent out soon after the election, cited Trump's call to significantly increase infrastructure spending. That would be good for architects, wouldn't it? It quickly caused a backlash, though, from local chapters, architecture organizations, and publications calling some for the organization's chief executive to resign. In the video apology, the chief executive called his initial statement tone-deaf. Hmm? Dateline San Antonio, two 10th grade students at a San Antonio high school and their teacher have been reprimanded for the performance of a skit portraying the assassination of President-elect Trump. The San Antonio Express News reports the skit, entitled The Assassination of Donald Trump, was performed last week at Marshall High School. One of the boys used a gunfire sound effect from a cell phone. The other boy, playing Trump, fell to the ground. A spokesman for the district said the appropriate action had been taken against the three and that the teacher had apologized. Two parents of a student who viewed the skit had complained. They said they were dissatisfied with the apology and had hoped for harsher measures. The head of WADA, the World Anti-Drug Doping Agency, apologized to Olympics officials. They were furious at the timing of an announcement that the main drug testing analysis lab in Qatar has been suspended by WADA. Or as, you know, an old TV comedy would refer to it, WADA WADA. The World Anti-Doping Agency revealed this week that the laboratory's work would be suspended for four months just as more than 1,000 officials descended on the capital of uh, Qatar, Doha, for the annual meeting of the Association of National Olympic Committees. That's got to be fun. Officials said the timing of the announcement of the, of the suspension of the Qatar drug lab threatened to overshadow the summit. That's where Budapest, Los Angeles, and Paris are presenting their bids for the 2024 Olympics. We don't want that to be disrupted, do we? Or overshadowed in any way. I, apo I f apologize fully that this happened. It was not, I promise you, intentional, said the head of WADA. Deadline Snyder, Texas. A school official in a small North Texas town, Snyder, has apologized to the administrators of a Texas-Mexico border school district after his students 
had a bo- volleyball match between teams from the two districts, and his students chanted, build a wall. C.D. Knobloch said he apologized to administrators. He said heated emotions after the election were probably a factor and said, quote, the whole community is torn up about it, unquote. Some invisible reweaving might help. Deadline Windsor, Connecticut. The Connecticut school superintendent has apologized to parents who are upset after a mural that featured a silhouette of President Obama was removed from an elementary school on Election Day. This country's on fire. Windsor Public School Superintendent Craig Cook said the mural at Oliver Ellsworth School was painted over to make way for something that would showcase student work. He said it was done Election Day when the school was closed so students and staff wouldn't have to inhale harmful odors in the paint. The 2009 mural featured student signatures and other historical events at that time. Cook says the timing for replacing the mural couldn't have been worse and apologized for the mistake. He says now district officials will work to replace the mural. Going to get those signatures back? Want to see that. A Montreal film festival has issued an apology a year after it screened a film that Inuit people panned as a proliferation of negative stereotypes. Organizers of the Montreal International Documentary Festival apologized for having presented a film with a colonial perspective that perpetuates racist stereotypes. A 74-minute collage film about modern-day life in northern Canada was screened at the festival a year ago. Uh, The mid-festival apology, according to musicians, says it follows them putting on pressure on the festival through a boycott and a public letter. The original version of the film was made up of publicly available clips culled from the Internet showing images of snow, skidoos, and hunting with clips of Inuit appearing drunk, crashing ATVs, and throwing up. Inuit throat singer Tanyak Tagak took the festival to task for showing the film, which she called painful and racist. She also said her music was used in the film without her consent. It was later taken out. Columbia University says it would punish members of its wrestling team who'd shared lewd and racist text messages, and the remainder of the team had been cleared to resume competition. The agency, uh, the university said in a statement its investigators had found messages were written, seen, and viewed by a distinct group within the wrestling team. Those responsible have been suspended. And... Uh, the members of the wrestling team apologized for their inappropriate, vulgar, and hurtful speech. Dateline Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Police say they have taken no action but are continuing to review a recent incident involving one of their law enforcement officers in a Facebook post that drew national attention. Detective Bill Ledger, a veteran of the force, said he's heard from people all over the world who offered them support after it was learned that Halloween costumes he and his wife wore while handing out candy to kids. She was wearing a pigtailed wig, a sweatshirt that made her appear pregnant, and black and blue makeup around her eyes and mouth. He is posed holding his fist up to her face, wearing a long-haired wig, a flannel shirt, and jeans rolled up. And the text above the photo read, Don't talk back to the boss. It was a Joe Dirt Halloween costume. That's all it was, Ledger said. I was hoping David Spade would hear about it and contact me. Unquote. An apology followed from the police department. And a man who admitted damaging Donald Trump's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame last month, to make a political statement, pleaded not guilty to a felony charge of vandalism. Upon reflections after my arrest, I had said I was proud and felt very good about destroying Mr. Trump's star. However, I realized now I was wrong, that I shouldn't have done it. I apologize for that. I hope no one else will affect and hurt the Hollywood Walk of Fame stars. I think that really does conclude 
The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. that's going to conclude this edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USN 440 cable system in Japan around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet. On the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio in London. On your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, and WWNO.org. Oh, and around the world via the Internet, two different locations, live and archive, whenever you want it, harryshare.com and kcsn.org. And it would be just like... Everybody seeing those four streets sequentially in New Orleans. Law, hope, duels, and industry. If you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address, yes, there's still email, ladies and gentlemen, for this program. You'll find it along with the playlist for these shows and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for the whole family for Christmas time. That's all at harryshare.com. And me, I'm on Twitter. I'm the Harry Shearer. Not really, like, there's a lot of competition for it, but I'm, I'm the one. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans.